Hello, and welcome to Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. In our current series, Perspective, A Different Way of Thinking, we would dive into the book of Philippians and ask God to change our perspective and how we do life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you tonight on, uh, on, on a different perspective on worry. <laughs> worry. You know, there's another perspective on that. You know that, don't you? Anybody recognize that? Don't worry. That ain't the perspective tonight, but we're going to talk about it anyhow. Everybody say, Pastor. Preach to us tonight. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach to us tonight. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach to us tonight. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Brett. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want everybody to know you do it. But how many of you often worry? Irma Bombeck once said, I've always worried a lot. I miss Irma since she's been gone. Frankly, I'm good at it, she said. I worry about introducing people and going blank when I get to my mother. I worry about a shortage of ball bearings. I worry about a snake coming up through the kitchen drain. I worry about the world ending at midnight and getting stuck with three hours on a 24-hour cold tablet. I worry about getting in the Guinness World Book of Records under pregnancies, oldest recorded birth. I worry what the dog thinks when he sees me coming out of the shower. I worry that one of my children will marry an Eskimo who will set me adrift on an iceberg when I can no longer feed myself. I worry about sales ladies following me into the fitting room, oil slicks, and Cindy Crawford going bald. I worry about scientists discovering someday that lettuce has been fattening all along. Sometimes it's carved in our bodies by sores that we call ulcers, and sometimes it's etched on our faces in lines that we call wrinkles. It can be seen in a frown, heard through footsteps pacing back and forth across the floor late at night. Sometimes it's muffled by the silence of simply lying in bed, staring at the ceiling without being able to go to sleep. Some people call it tension. Other people call it anxiety. Jesus simply called it worry. There's a book called Soul Detox. The principle is talked about in it. There's one principle in that book that says, whatever you fear the most reveals what you value the most. In other words, if you're worried about your kid's safety, it's because you value your kids. If you're worried about not getting married one day, it's because you actually value relationships and marriage. What you fear the most reveals what you value the most. The second thing, though, is what you fear the most reveals where you where you trust God the least. What you fear the most usually is a window into a spiritual issue. Fear invalidates faith. It's hard to trust with fear. In fact, someone defined worry as the sin of disturbing the promises and the power of God, or distrusting the promises and the power of God. And let us be honest, all of us at one point or another, we worry. Some worry about the economy, 
Some worry about the finances. Some worry about the stability of their jobs. Some worry about not getting left behind when the rapture takes place. Some want to keep up with others. Some worry about their health. Some worry about relationships. Most people with kids at one time or another, it's about their own children, and the list goes on and on and on. In fact, I used to be a real worrier when I first started preaching, and I really took it to heart to make this prayerful journey to ask God to help me to overcome the sin of worry. And at 27, I went to a doctor, and he said, you better let it go or it's going to take you down. And so I had to start letting it go, and I made a lot of progress in my prayer life, and I'm talking miles and miles of progress to the point where I almost could say, hey, I don't worry about hardly anything at all anymore. And then I woke up one day, and I had daughters driving. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I found my prayer life increasing dramatically. You parents know it's 1130 at night. They're just at a friend's house. You know where they are, but that friend's house is not where your house is. It's across town, and my daddy used to say nothing good happens after midnight, and so you worry about them coming home. You're worried about somebody, pardon me for getting on some of your kinfolk, somebody drunk driving on the road, and you pray harder and harder and harder. Well, where are they? And all of a sudden, I found myself worrying again. Jaron brought Kate home from uh, Mississippi. Caitlin flew to uh, New Orleans and met his parents and and Jaron, and they went out to eat, and it was a big deal. And then we got the privilege of meeting our future son-in-law. And he brought her home. He drove her home, and they were supposed to be home at a certain time. And they kept calling and said, well, they're a little bit later and a little later, a little later. And, and when they got there, when they got to the house about 11.30, 11.45 that night, I was standing in the front window just like this. <laughs> now, I should have been asleep because 10.30 is my bedtime, but I was worried. I was worried where they were and when they were going to get there. And the kids still laugh about it to this day. They think I was trying to get the first look at Jaron. No, no, I wasn't trying to look at that boy that was going to steal my daughter. No, I wasn't trying to look at him. I was making sure he got my daughter home safe. And there's some people like if there's nothing going wrong now, there must be one day, so I'm going to worry about it. If there's nothing to worry about, I'm going to worry because there's nothing to worry about. What I want to do today from the book of Philippians is, uh, is, is, is if you're taking notes, I want you to understand this. Number one, or, or what I want to say is worry is a matter of perspective. It's all about perspective. Say perspective. For example, mom and dad lived in Oklahoma for several years. Dad retired in 1987, and they lived in Oklahoma for the rest of their days until dad died in 85 and mom died in 87. So... When, when a tornado was coming, they knew what to do. They didn't worry. They really didn't. They didn't get real freaked out about it. Dad wasn't the kind to get freaked out. Mama could fry some bacon with her, oh, God, that stuff. But Daddy had built a cellar, so they would go to the cellar. But they didn't know a lot about earthquakes. And some of that time, I was living in St. Louis, and, uh, and uh, one day a tremor, a tremor hit in St. Louis, and uh, it was St. Louis is kind of on a fault line up there. And I called Dad and told him about it. And he was so worried, sick about us. He said, I want you to get out of that town right now. I want you to drive south. I want you to go east or west, whichever way you've got to get from that fault line, get out of there right now. And you know what I said? I said, Dad, go back to the cellar. <laughs> because it's all a matter of perspective. My dad was not worried about tornadoes because he understood how to handle tornadoes. 
but he was worried about earthquakes because he didn't have them in Oklahoma. Do you understand that? I had a pastor friend that, that was uh, driving on a freeway one time in California, and he was with a friend, and the friend looked over at him just to pull a joke on him. He said, you know, they can predict earthquakes now, and there's one predicted for today. And the pastor said, I'm not stupid. They, don't, they can't predict earthquakes. And the friend said, oh, no, they used to be able to, but with this new seismic graphic measure, they can actually predict some, with somewhat accuracy. And the pastor thought, he's pulling my leg. I know he is. But the next thing you know, the pastor was praying to God for safety because they got stuck under a bridge out there in one of those West Coast towns, and he was praying, God, don't let an earthquake happen right now. So the pastor said, you know, when the, when the guy finally told him that he was teasing, the pastor said in his mind, I'll get him back someday. So sure enough, the man came to Oklahoma to see the pastor, and, 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 and the friend came to see him, and one day they were, they were watching that weekend. They was watching a football game on TV, and there was a tornado warning. In fact, it was on the TV up in the corner during the football game, and it showed where it was in the panhandle of Oklahoma. And the pastor told his friend, when it starts in the panhandle, it's usually here by 30 minutes or less. So he said, you've got to get in the basement right now. He said, I'm going to go get some supplies. Now his friend's panicking. He's the same guy that said they could predict earthquakes in California. When the pastor got back with the supplies, the man was in the corner of the basement with a mattress over his head, scared silly, praying to God out of his gourd. <laughs> Worry is a matter of perspective. Now I live in Austin. You don't know what's coming next. Frogs, locusts, hail, you don't know, whatever. But if there's anyone that had reason to worry, it was the Apostle Paul in the fourth chapter of the Philippians. If you missed the previous weeks, Paul was actually in prison for preaching the gospel. But he wasn't just in prison. He was in house arrest, chained 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier. He was waiting what could, his sentence could be that could condemn him to death. And they knew they was going to take his head off someday. So at that moment, he could... He could, he could find out there are, they're going to behead you. Your time is up. He wanted to take the gospel forward, but he was awaiting what could be the worst news of his life. And if anybody could have worried, it would have been Paul. But Paul had a different perspective on God, and we're going to read it. He had written before in another book that he wrote to the Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God. I'm going to put Johnson on it. Nothing. Shall trouble? No. Shall hardship? No. Shall persecution? No. Famine, no. Nakedness, no. Peril, no. Sword, no. Nothing, 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 nothing can separate you from the living God. You got to get that. That's the mindset. That's the concept. That's the perspective that Paul lived with. He lived with that even in a Philippian prison. He said nothing. He just had a different perspective. He had seen the faithfulness of God through more life tragedies than you can ever imagine. He had seen God be faithful to him when he was shipwrecked and should have died. He had seen the faithfulness of God when he had been bitten again and again by poisonous snakes. He had seen the faithfulness of God when he was persecuted and whipped and left for dead and people thought he was going to die in a ditch. He had seen the faithfulness of God when they stoned him, when they imprisoned him again and again and again. Because of what he experienced, folks, he said, hey, you really don't have to worry. And so from a Roman prison, he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> he, he meant it to do a little bit more than that. He said, and again, I say rejoice. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to put God in a box today, 
But this is the best picture I have to help us walk through this message. He said, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. He said, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Because Paul knew that God inhabits the praise of his people. And no matter where you are in life, if you're under, a, if you're under some kind of tent, if you're walking on a road of trouble, if you're walking on a mountain of victory, wherever you are, rejoice in the Lord your God. Wow. And when you see the Lord as Paul saw him, he's going to show you you don't have to worry. So many of us think worry is just a way of life. And Christians sometimes, we soften the word worry. We baptize it. We say, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. You don't have to be worried when you know the Lord is the way he knew the Lord. You don't have to worry. He's going to teach us two things. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. You ready? He's going to teach us two things. We don't have to worry about what happens when we know who is in charge. You don't, you don't have to worry about what will happen when you know who is in charge. Now, I put a note there. That's pretty good preaching. Let me say it again. We don't have to worry about what will happen when we know who is in charge. In other words, we don't have to worry about the how when we know the who. If we have a who that knows, I'm starting to sound like Dr. Seuss here, but work with me. We don't have to worry about the how when we know the who. Can I tell you I had an awesome dad? Anybody here want to clap for your dad today? I had an awesome dad. I had an awesome dad. I really did. My dad was awesome. You know, word had it that when he was in the Navy that my dad, before he knew the Lord, was quite a fighter. I didn't get that spirit from him. My brother did, but my dad, my dad was quite a fighter. They said he whipped four guys one night, and he looked for some more to fight. Uh, my dad was quite a man. But I remember when I broke my arm playing football my junior year in high school, my dad come home. My mama had me on the couch, had a, had, a, had a rag on my head. She had a thermometer in my throat, and she was making sure that gangrene wasn't setting up in my arm before dad got there. And my mom was just frantically worried about that I was going to die of some kind of internal disease because I had broke my wrist. And my dad came in, I promise, had his lunch pail. He was still kind of kind of worn from the day, and he come in, he looked at me, and he grabbed my wrist. He said, son, I've had worse on my lip and never licked it. <laughs> he said it, and you've heard me say it. And he said, I've, heard, I've had worse on my eye and never batted. Get up. We're going to go to the doctor. It's probably just a sprain. My Lord, it was snapped. But my dad took the worry out of me. We went to the doctor, and he said, doctor, I think my boy's got a little bit of sprain here. He had to be teasing because her arm was broke bad, but I love my dad's way. I was the president of the National Honor Society when I was a senior in high school, and, and, and I made a C in choir. Now, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I wasn't the worst singer in that choir. You hear me? I really wasn't. But the choir director just didn't like me. And I come home, and I used to, I used to really get anxious about stuff like that. I said, Daddy, I'm going to get on probation. They're going to kick me out of the National Honor Society because you can't make a C on the society. You can't make a C. And Daddy said, come on, let's go. So where are we going? He said, we're going to school. We went to school. 
Daddy went to the principal, who was dad's friend, and he said, would you call that choir director in here right now? So I said, oh, my God, Jesus. Now I'm worried that, <laughs> now I'm worried that daddy's not going to let the Holy Spirit direct him, and he's fixing to wear this choir. <laughs> the choir director needed it. I just have to tell you that. He needed it. And so the man comes in, and, 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 and uh, dad looks at him and said, you know who I am, don't you? He said, no, sir. He said, I'm, I'm his daddy. And he said, I see on his report card here he's got a C. He said, my boy's not a C singer. My boy's an A-plus singer. And my boy's got an A-plus-plus attitude. You got a problem, sir. I'll tell you what you're going to do. He said, what can I do, man? He said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're gonna, you see that C right there? You're going to make it an A-plus. Because my boy's not going to go on probation from the Honor Society because you gave him a C in choir because he's one of the best singers you got. And I said, well, God, I got a daddy here. Praise God. Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about the what. When you got the who, my dad could put things together without any instruction. He really could. He just had a knack. Dad, here's the instructions. Oh, son, I know how to put this back together. Just give me. And he'd never missed. He was the greatest automator. He just had it in his mind. And one night as a kid, we came home. We was living on the farm. Dad was a sharecropper. We lived on the farm. And we came home, and there was somebody in our house. I've told this story before. We all had groceries in our hand. We heard people moving in our house. And somebody said, we've got to get out of here. They're here. We heard that. And I'll never forget my dad said, boy, step aside. My dad stepped up, put the grocery down. He said, I'm going to count to three. And he said, if you're not moving out of that house on the count of three, you're going to pay the price. I stepped up and rolled my sleeves up. I was ready to go with him, you know. <laughs> no worry. The lights came on. It was my aunt and uncle from Oklahoma. They had parked their car out behind the barn. They didn't want no whooping on their head. What I'm trying to say, you don't have to worry about the how when you know the who. Do you not understand that the Lord takes care of the lilies? He takes care of the sparrows? How much more? Hey, they don't worry. They don't talk. Somebody say, I'm not going to worry about the how because I know the who in my life. You got a heavenly father. You got somebody that loves you. I know that's cheesy. I know it's cheesy to hear somebody say, don't worry about the how when you know the who. Don't worry about the how when we know the who. Because we had a who knew everything was okay. Here's the thing. You need to repeat that in your daily life. I'm not going to worry about how it's going to happen. I'm not going to worry about what's going to take place. I've got a who in my life. What's his name? Jesus. Does he love you? Do you love him? Yes. Scriptural standpoint, you don't have to worry about what will happen when you know who's in charge. Verse 6 said, therefore, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Everybody say, don't be anxious about a thing. T-H-A-N-G. But in everything, say in everything, everything. say everything, everything, even things you consider small, present your request to God. And here's the amazing promise in verse 7. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding. It'll, you, you can't even understand how great the peace of God will be. And it will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. 
And God's going to say to you, you don't have to worry about the how when you have the who. You've got God. Don't be anxious about anything but everything by prayer. Some of you are worried about your finances. You just do what God tells you to do. Trust God with your tithe. Return it to him. Live within or beneath your means, and God will take care of you. I'm worried about the economy. I trust my Lord with the money, and then we give it to him. The problem is many times we say, Lord, mm, it hadn't happened yet, so I need to take that back. And we take back what we've given him. Don't do that. Pray and give it to him. You're worried about your relationships. Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my spouse. I'm worried about, you know, and it's holidays. and We've got to go to those psycho relatives' house. And I don't know what I'm going to give them to the Lord in everything, in everything, in everything, in everything, in everything with prayer. Make your petition known to the Lord. You're worried about your health. Oh, my goodness, you're worried about your health of someone you love. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, you trust that person. You trust them to the Lord. You pray about everything. And when you give it to him, you don't worry because he's got it. And what you say sometimes is, God, I don't trust you. You can't handle it. I'm going to take this back from you. And some of you, you need to make you a little God box. You can put your worries in it and say, just forget them because I'm going to turn them over to the Lord and I'm going to let God have them. And clap your hands for that right now because God is good. Now, there's, there's something else I want to give you here right now. I will do what I can do and trust God to do what I cannot do. Now, God, God, God don't want you to lay back and say, well, you know what? I don't care what happened. I'm just going to sit on this road. I'm going to chill. Everything's going to be all right. No, no, no. Let me, let me talk to you. If I can do something about it, I'm going to do something about it. If I can't do something about it, I'm not going to worry about it. And so when there's something you cannot do, you don't worry about it, you give it to the Lord. Here's a little pop quiz, okay? You ready? I'm going to ask you if you can do something about it, some different things, and you tell me what you can do. And if you can't do it, who we're going to give it to? All right, we'll give it to the Lord. Okay, pop quiz. So can you heal or save your sick, lost loved ones? Yes or no? No. So what do you do with it? Okay. Can you fix your struggling marriage? Can you change your spouse? Let me talk to the ladies. Ladies, let me, let me talk to you. Because some of you confused right here, yeses and noes. The answer is no. I need to hear you. Listen, listen, ladies, can you change your husband? No. You think you can, but you can't. So what do you do? You trust your spouse to the Lord. Can you protect your kids from all the dangers of the world? Can you do that? No. So what do you do? You do what you can. You trust God. Do what you can't do. Can you ensure you're never going to get laid off and never have a financial hiccup? Can you do that? The answer is no. So what do you do? You do what you do. You live beneath your means. You honor God with your tithe, and then you take what you cannot do and trust it to God. Can you control your future? The answer is no. God controls the future. Say, yes, he does. So you take your future, and you give it to God, and you don't take it back. Here's AA 101, Alcohol Anonymous 101. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. Can you change anything by worrying? No. Can you change anything by his power? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So you don't have to worry about what will happen when you know who is in charge. It's really a matter of perspective. In fact, the serenity prayer is this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. 
You know, you know how you interpret that prayer? God, help me to ch- surrender. Give me the surrender to accept the things I cannot change. That's others. And the courage to change the things I can. That's me. And the wisdom to know the difference. That's between others and me. You can change yourself. Let you give, you give others to God. Come on, that's good stuff. I give you a worst case scenario. El Paso, Texas, several years ago, I was there, had gone to marry a precious couple on a Saturday in Los Cruces, New Mexico. They used to be members of this church. He's with the FBI now. Los Cruces was about 30 plus miles from El Paso. The wedding took so long, we couldn't get away in time to make the flight to Austin. It was late in the afternoon on a, on a Saturday. Church would be the next full, would be full the next day, no substitute plan. So I'm kind of off the wall with worry. The only alternative was to drive 10 plus hours at night if we missed the plane from El Paso back home. Got on the phone, got on the phone, got an angel for a schedule change. She was quick, decisive, and booked me on another flight and the person I was with to Phoenix and then to Austin. The only problem was we had to get to the airport in 30 minutes. It was a 30 plus mile away, no luggage, thank God. Had a friend driving me. He was a descendant of Jehu in the Bible. He drove furiously. (laughs) We went about 110 miles an hour, and I prayed, God, no police, please. And God just, you know, when they don't... When the Lord touched people's blind eyes, he made them see, and he, he let seeing eyes be blind when we went by them or something. Because we passed some cops, and they just kind of looked at us, and we just kept going. Never before or since has this happened to me. We got to the airport with 10 minutes to spare. Stay with me. Absolutely no one in the airport. I was alone. I thought the rapture had taken place in El Paso. <laughs> Nobody in that airport. The last flight out, not one coming in. I ran through the metal detector station. I got on the plane, sat back, and with a sigh, said, Thank you, Lord God Almighty. The driver that drove me even made it after checking in a rental car. Here's what I did. I did what I could. I called. I didn't sit in the hotel room and say, Oh, God, give us away, give us away, give us away, give us away. I made a call. I got a sweet angel. God did the rest. He gave me a sweet helper. He gave me Jehu as a driver. He gave me an empty airport and a plane late for departure. And I preached the next morning in Austin, Texas. That's what God does. You do what you can. Come on, clap your hands. God does what you can't do. Give it to him. It's a matter of perspective. We think worst case scenario. And here's a lady on the phone that gave me a best case scenario. And Paul said in verse 8, then finally, brothers, oh, I love this scripture, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Come on now. Think about them. Don't think, hey, if anything's bad, worse, miserable, oh, God, oh, God, I'm in that mully grubs again today. Get your eyes up. Get your head up. Come on, folks. He's in prison, and he's saying, boys, if it's true, if it's noble, if it's right, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's admirable, if it's excellent, if it's praiseworthy, think about these things. That's what he's saying. This is how you get out of worry. Then he says in verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen me put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen when you know who's in charge. You just give it to the Lord and let his peace guard your heart, your mind, your soul with Christ Jesus. There's another thing that a lot of people worry about today. A lot of us are worried about what we have, where we live, and our status. You know, sometimes we're content with our house until we go and, and, and we see the show of homes. And we come back to our house and it looks like 
where the Flintstones live. <laughs> a lot of people, they're discontented with the way they look. They take these selfies from 47 angles. <laughs> and, and, and they're discontent with their status of life, the way they feel. I wish I had a different house. I wish I had a different job. I wish I had a better marriage. I wish my kids were doing something different. I wish it wasn't so busy all the time. And all of a sudden, we become incredibly dissatisfied with what we have, where we are in life. I don't like what I have. Paul's going to say, verse, he's going to say, you don't have to worry about what you have when you know who truly satisfies. And then he's going to say, basically, I'm going to let you in on one of the greatest secrets in the history of the world. He said, I greatly rejoice. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He said, folks, listen. This is what Paul said. He said, you renewed your concern for me. He said, you know what you've done? You've got your heart and mind off of your worries. And you're starting to take care of somebody that has problems in jail. You are, you're not worried about yourself. You have literally sent Epaphroditus to me, and you have absolutely blessed and given me the greatest gift you could give me. You've given me the gift of love. And he said in verse 10, Indeed, you have been concerned, but you haven't had an opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. That's what he said. That's what he said. But here's the deal. There was something that God taught him. We're not naturally content. We're naturally discontented because of our sinful nature. But because of God's goodness, he said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Here's what I want you to understand. When Paul saw that those people had turned their eyes away from themselves and turned them to him and took up this huge offering and blessed that man in prison, he said, I, I, you get it. You're getting it. You're getting it. I am content but I want to thank you for thinking of me in your time of need wherever you may be. Amen? Are you with me? Are you with me? What I'm trying to say is when you walk in this door on Sunday, don't be thinking about how bad it is. Think about how good God is. Don't be thinking how tough life is. Start believing how good God is. Is God good to you? I'm not trying to get you emotional. Has God been good to you? Anybody want to have a parade for God? God been good to you. Man. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I know what it is. Then what does he say? He said, here's the secret. What you need to know, no matter where I am, no matter what's going on, no matter what I have or what I don't have, I don't have to worry. You know why? Because he said, verse 13, I can do. Everything. 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 Not some things. Not every now and then something, but everything through Christ, the Lord, who gives me strength. You know, every kid in our Sunday school knows that verse. They write it on their ball gloves. They write it on their arms before they go into a ball game. We need to quote that every day of our life. I can do all things through Christ. Woo. I got to quit. 
I got to quit. It's about quitting time. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have. It's perspective. I've seen his goodness. I've heard his voice. I've experienced his presence in my greatest trials. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. His love is better than life. He said, hey, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain because my life is not mine. I'm hidden with God in Christ. He was saying my health is in him. My life is in him. My security is in him. My relationships are for him. His provision is in me. My provision is in him. It's not in my ability to control. I don't have to worry. The Lord is in my life is in the Lord. I can rejoice. I can rejoice not in my circumstances, but how do I rejoice? I rejoice in the Lord, whether well fed, whether hungry and plenty or want, whether having everything, whether being in want, whether chained to a Roman guard. I can rejoice in the Lord because I know He's working all things for the good to those that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. Different perspective. Different perspective. In fact, verse 19 is one of the most favorite scriptures I've ever preached from. But my God, say it with me, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. See, there's some people that are need-oriented. There's some people that are God-conscious. Paul was God-conscious. He was talking to people who were need-oriented. He said, my God can supply all your need. My God's big enough to take care of me and you. When you get to thinking like that, you can rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Don't delight in yourself in the new thing you just got or the new raise or the fact that you didn't have cancer or your kid won first place and got a trophy or your kid won last place and still got a trophy. So that's how they do it nowadays. What does he say? What does God say? Psalms 37 and 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Where do you take refuge? In the Lord will I take refuge, Psalms 11 and 1. Psalms 118 and 8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Okay, I'll do what I can do, but I'm going to give God what I cannot do and trust him in it. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding and he will make your path straight. So where do I stand with the Lord? Good question. Acts 16, 31 said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's not just for people that are lost. You in trouble? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to get saved. And when the Philippian jailer got saved, his whole household got saved. Come on, Daddy. Some of you need to start thinking positive and upbeat and saying, I'm going to praise God and everything because your whole family needs to see a daddy do that. Come on, Mom. Your whole family needs to see a mom do that. You need to be upbeat and lifted in your life. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. I'm going to give you a little something that I just, I've been preaching 44 years and I've never... I've never preached it, but I, I'm going to give you something that's an illumination to me. It came to my spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, for we now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Look at that. It's all a matter of perspective. You know what Paul didn't say? Paul didn't say we now see through a dark glass. 
He said we see through a glass darkly. See, when it's a dark glass, dark is an adjective modifying the word, a noun, glass. But when we see through a glass darkly, darkly is an adverb modifying the verb see. So the glass was never dark. I'm about to lose my mind right now. It's just the seer. It's not the picture, it's a perspective. It's not the vase, it's the vision. We don't see through a dark glass. We see through a glass darkly. Somebody has got to get their vision. You know, the Bible said he came to heal those that were blind and give sight to the blind. The Lord don't want you walking around this world seeing through dark glasses all your life. He wants you to get a vision and a different perspective and see that in a different light because it's how you see things, not what you're looking through that matters. Can somebody help me preach right now? Milton, the blind poet, said, Does God exact day labor, night dismissed? No, God gives light to the day. Listen, listen, listen. Work while it is yet day. The night is coming. But it's not here yet. Quit looking through a dark glass. Get your vision to see clearly that God Almighty has a new perspective on everything that you have going on in your life. Come on, say it with me. God is for me. God is with me. And if God is for me, God is with me, tell me who can be against me. Come on, who can be against me? Anybody feel good in your spirit tonight? Anybody feel good in your spirit tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's a different perspective. You got to see it differently. It's a new way to look at worry. Come on. You don't have to know the how when you've got the who. Come on, cheer for it. Cheer for it. Amen. So do, 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 do. Don't worry. Be happy. Thank you for listening. We hope that today's message has blessed you. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.